Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Hey folks, welcome to the 50th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. Uh, whether you're a first-time listener or you've been listening f- since the first episode, thank you so much. It's really hard to believe that we're 50 episodes in. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. I really appreciate everyone tuning in. Please help grow the podcast by sharing it on social media, telling your friends about it, and by leaving a rating or comment on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at It's R.A. Kuhn. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. That way you won't miss out on any news about the Pulling Tart Podcast. I'd like to welcome on a very special guest, Kelly Rensel. Kelly is the head groundskeeper for the Great Lakes Loons, High A affiliate for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Can't wait to chat with Kelly right after this break. Hell, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. How's everything going at Dow Diamond, and how's the field coming along up there in Michigan? It's good. Uh, first and foremost, thank you for having me on. I kind of feel like I'm in the Cool Kids Club now because you've had some of the guys that I know and a former coworker of mine, Nick Carey. Nick, oh yeah, is one of our interns in in Greenville, Tennessee. So I know Nick pretty well, and, and Tyler who used to work in Clinton. So I, I feel like. I'm up there now with people who work in minor league baseball, but um, once again, thank you for having me on. Things in Michigan are good. It's still, you know, shut down for the most part. The stadium's shut down. We're not really doing any events. Um, One thing that's unique about our stadium is we can enclose the concourse and have weddings and parties and all sorts of stuff. We can't even have that now. So it's very desolate and quiet. And the summer was... I think, as everybody knows, it was a very weird summer just with the pandemic and the whole state of minor league baseball with the pandemic and then the contract being up between major league minor league baseball was just a perfect storm of insanity, I guess. And then in the middle of all that here locally, we had two dams break. So half the town in Midland got flooded out and we had to deal with that. So things are a little bit better now than I guess they were in the summertime. Wow. Yeah, things have been so crazy. That is an interesting concept that you can close the concourse in. Uh, more teams should look into doing that. Yeah, yeah. I think we are we might be the only one that can do that. Uh, I'm not too sure, but okay. it's, it's a nice feature to have because our ballpark's open year-round. Yeah. A New Year's Eve party, we didn't do that this year, obviously, and a boat show, a hot tub show, things like that. They haven't been done. Yeah, that is kind of wild. So what did you do with the free time and lack of play on the field this past year? 
I got married in July, so that was nice. that took up a lot of my time. <laughs> I I get that, man. How so? I just got married uh, like a, a month and a half ago. Okay. Um. So, what kind of hoops did you have to jump through for the wedding? I'm sure a lot. We got engaged in August of 2019. Yep. We started doing some light planning in the fall, all that kind of stuff, and then. We really, honestly, it was kind of, there was some silver lining in the whole pandemic was that my wife, she's a school psychologist, so she had to work from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was really a home a lot more, so we could get a lot of planning done, which was really, really nice. Um, one of the hoops that we really had to jump through early on, we had to cancel our honeymoon. We are going to go to Hawaii. We ended up doing a whole trip along the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Okay. I've never been up there. She was only up there once, so... Got to do that. That was still pretty cool as a a decent backup plan. Um, But we did get a lot of planning done, and I'm kind of thankful for it because if she was in school and I had a season and we had all that to do, it would have been insane. Right. We got married in Pennsylvania. Okay. Because we're both from there. Um, So we were keeping an eye on things that were going on in PA for rules and regulations and all that. Sure. Um, Nine days before our wedding, we got the word that Wolf shut everything down and 25 people are allowed inside and we had about 75 people coming. So we had to make some pretty heart-wrenching phone calls and and let people know that they couldn't make it. But it was just enough people where we could have our vendors there, our family there. We had a small wedding party as is. So Mm -hmm. it, it, it did work out. It wasn't exactly what we wanted, but... We had everybody there that we, that we wanted to be there. That's that's good. Um, we actually had to cut. We cut our list from like one twenty, one thirty to. <laughs> I think it ended up being eighty. Yeah. Um. So, but every everything went as planned. Um. In fact, we got married on Saturday, and that Monday, the governor shut things down again. Um, so, so we were happy that it was when it was, um, and people were able to travel for it, um, because, because, um, you know, this, uh, being in the life of minor league baseball and moving around a lot, you have a lot of friends from all over the place. So, um, it was great that everybody that we wanted to come was able to travel. Um, and then, you know, I, we're, I'm in Delaware right now and we were talking before this that I'm from PA as well. Um, so my family was driving down from Pennsylvania, of course. Um, and then, so can we talk about this for a second? Is PA the only state that we, um, call by its initials? Yeah. Like, I will say that confidently. You don't call call Ohio O H or Florida F L or Michigan M I Delaware D E. Yeah, nobody. It's nobody the only it's the only state that I can think of. I mean maybe New York N Y, but that's still kinda awkward. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Wow. But it, it PA is PA. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Um <laughs> are you used to the to the ring on your finger yet? It took a little bit. Um, we got our ring. I bought my ring. This one, I got my silicone ring on like you do. Yeah. Um, I, we got that. I bought that for us. Her and I both got one in February. I'm, that was our kind of our Valentine's Day gift. 
So I would wear it occasionally around the house doing dishes and things like that just to kind of get used to it. Yeah. And then I got another one, my metal one, and that's a little thicker and heavier. But right. I, it, took a, it took about a month to get used to it, but I don't even, I don't even notice it anymore. Yeah. The, um, what it, I forget what kind of metal mine is right now, but it it's black. Oh, it's tungsten. Mine's, yeah, mine's tung- tungsten as well. Yeah, so it's black tungsten with a thin gold band in the middle of it. Um, and it was just so weird to get used to. So, <laughs> And then I went on Amazon and got like a four-pack of like different colored silicone yeah. ones. The silicone ones are much easier to, to wear and you know not even notice it, honestly. Um, yeah, I was a little worried about going to work with it because I had so much right. irrigation work to do and... I, I I wear gloves a lot, but physically I had to get my hands dirty to get in a hole or whatever I was doing. And I'm like a little worried about the silicone ring falling off, but the thing doesn't even budge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you really see a different side of the players. Um, I was always the media guy, so I saw a different side of them as well. Usually when they needed me to change their walk-up song. Um <laughs> But so you see a really different side because you're up close and personal to them, you know, most of the day, actually, you get to interact with them while they're warming up um, during BP and in between innings during games. What's your favorite part about that? And can you tell any stories? It's it's pretty much just like you said, just being that close to the game and seeing it all day long from the time they come out from early work at one o'clock or two o'clock or whatever it is and see them putting the work in and people think they show up at five o'clock and eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich and hit the field. Right. Those guys are getting there even before that at 11 to get some stretching in, to get weightlifting done, to get whatever done, any kind of treatment done if they're hurt. Yeah. And then they hit the field. They eat lunch and then they hit the field and they're out there at one, one thirty, two o'clock, whatever it may be. So it's always kind of neat to see how much work some of these guys put in and then see it a couple of years later pay off that they're in the big leagues, they're winning awards, they're going to all-star games and things like that. Yeah. So it, it, it's really cool to see that. Um, just the little interactions, I guess, is, is always neat. Hey, how you doing? How was the mound last night? How's the infield? Whatever. Especially mm-hmm. at the higher levels, the guys, I, I really want a little more feedback from players because they know what they're doing. Where at kind of lower levels, they're still – they're still puppies. Yeah. Know? They don't, they don't know how to walk yet. They don't really know how an infield should be. So when I was in Huntsville in double A, it was a lot of guys who were on the 40 man who had maybe a little bit of big league time or in the big league camp in spring training. So they know how the game should be tailored to them a little bit if they wanted the infield watered a certain way or, or whatever. So it was always just kind of little interactions with that, with them, the coaching staff and, even the umpires, too. I always love talking to the umpires because those guys never have a home game. Right. They're always sleeping in a hotel room. So I always want to make sure those guys are okay, that they know where the movie theater is and the golf course. And sure. Where they can get a drink at the end of the night. So it's, it's just everything. Talking to everybody and getting to know everybody is always really, really cool. Yeah. And you're out. Yeah, for for sure. So you, you were talking about how like people think like they show up for – um, for a game at five o'clock, eat a PB and J, hit the field. Um, to be fair, I think that's what they think of uh, people that work in minor league baseball oh, too. Um, do you, <laughs> I? I think I could still afford to work in minor league baseball if I got a dollar every time somebody asked me, "What do you do in the off season?" 
Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I got out was because the paychecks were, were diddly for the organizations I was working for. Um, but, but yeah, people, people just think like, like for you, for you, like for instance, like they just think like you show up at five o'clock, you cut the grass, you line the field and that's it. You know, um, when there's, my my question is, is always, how do you put the lines in the field? If, if I had even a dime for how many times I've gotten that, I could probably buy a new car and I'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, um, so Mitch Hooten, and we're going to talk about him later as well. Um, Mitch Hooten was one of my very first guests on this podcast. Did you go back and listen to his episode at all? I did not. No, I, I, I listened to Nick Carey, who you had today, um, I, I listened to his today, um, and I listened to somebody else's. I, I listened to Tyler's. So I, I listened to those two, but I did not listen to Mitch's yet. Okay. So, I mean, bear with Like, that was probably, like, bad audio, and, like, it's gotten a little bit yeah. better since then. But I think it was, like, my third or fourth episode, honestly. And um, so there's a story. Um, Mitch's wife went into labor literally right before um gates opened for a game and um he mitch was the guy he had no assistant nobody um because this is beloit and that's how things worked in beloit um and and we're gonna know how that is yeah so we're huntsville was the same way yeah i was a one-man show there so mitch and i always had a lot of the same notes essentially right so um i'm in the press box because I'm the media relations director, um, you know, social media, um, but I was also the PA announcer and the DJ during all the home games. So, um, so I'm in the press box and I'm doing my pregame reads and I'm looking at these jokers line the field and it was his part-time staff, like, you know, game day staff, right? And... It it comes down to the to the boxes, the the batters boxes, and so you guys have a stencil. I'm sure it's you know mm-hmm. you know relatively the same everywhere you go, but you have a stencil, and um, so the guy the guy painted one like so he went on the inside of the stencil like the the rectangle, and then on the so on the left one, and then on the right one he went on the outside of it. So like. <laughs> These things, these batter's boxes are completely different sizes. Mm-hmm. And um, Fran Reardon, who was the manager for Beloit back then, who is uh, the manager for the AAA Las Vegas Aviators now um, for the Oakland A's, um, he, he he was an indie ball guy. Like, he, he gets it, right? And... Um, he literally, he, so like the umpires walked, you know, motion for both uh, managers to come out and um, they're at home plate and you can basically see like from, from like the hand gestures and stuff, like, what are we going to do about this? Um, the head groundskeeper left, his wife's having a baby right now. Um, and I I found this out afterwards when I went to go take the box scores down to the clubhouse. Uh, Fran told the the umpire, he's like, 
after three batters, it's gonna be gone anyways. And then, so they just they just kicked dirt over them and started the game. <laughs> yes, I've I've heard that story from Mitch. Okay, him and I are, are really really good friends. We talk about just about every other day, a few times a week. And uh, the last turf conference that we went to, we actually we got a house together, me, him, and another guy. So nice. Him and I are, are very very good friends. You mean he knows how to text more than one word at a time? He does. You got you got to pester him a little bit. <laughs> Mitch has that the, the the red ass in him. So if you can kind of just nudge him a little bit and give him a hard time, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so when he started with Beloit, his wife hadn't moved yet, and she wasn't going to for like the first month or two. So um, him and I, we were we were bachelors. For, for until until she moved to Beloit, so we had a, we had a good time. Um, went out to the local watering holes in Beloit. Yeah. Went to went to some hockey games. Um, we had ourselves a good time. So we all have. Uh, you've made a few different stops uh, with yeah. the Idaho Falls Chuckers, the Huntsville Stars, mm-hmm. Greenville Astros, yeah. and finally the Great Lakes Loons. So I'll throw another one in there. I interned in Mahoning Valley. So oh. I did that in 2008, and then I went to Idaho Falls. So it was, okay. um, I, I've been around the country a little bit from, you know, being in Erie to Youngstown, Ohio, to Idaho Falls, to Alabama, and then Tennessee, and now in Michigan. So I, I've seen some mileage. Yeah, for sure. So how does growing grass in those climates differ? It, it's it, It's apples to oranges to chairs to a tv it's completely okay. different all right um so i would say maybe youngstown and here in in midland with the loons is pretty similar um similar weather similar grass type kentucky bluegrass grows more in the north mm-hmm. in the south you got more of bermuda grass things like that right so up here with the cold, the snow, and then the hot and humid weathers in the summertime, it, it, it's very, very tough because the seasons change very quickly. They go from, I think last year it felt like winter to instantly it's 85, 90 degrees in the summertime. Right. Um, and then down south you got a little more of a progression, but you don't get that much of a winter. Um, and then when I was in Idaho Falls, it was hot and dry every every day. It was 90, 94 zero percent humidity i feel like it was in an oven every single day so keeping the grass keeping moisture in that keeping moisture in the infield was in- incredibly tough um down south humid down there humid and hot um, my first year in huntsville there was times where we would cancel bp because it was so hot it was 115 120 degrees wow with whatever 500 percent humidity it felt like and i'm sweating through three four t-shirts a day so it was it was very tough but down south of bermuda grass likes to eat so once it gets really hot it really takes off and it grows like crazy um but in the summer times up here in the north with it getting hot the kentucky bluegrass kind of shuts down a little bit and kind of takes a back seat so it really takes off in the spring and the fall okay um, is really when that grass starts to grow okay very cool all right that's awesome um, I always, I always like that conversation. Um, and again, so another one of my good friends, he was the groundskeeper in Beloit before Mitch got there. Um, and his name is Zach Ricketts and he 
is a former guest of this podcast, but he is the assistant groundskeeper for the Oakland A's now. And um, he would, we would we would go to bars all the time um, as bachelors do, and we would watch games like football games, baseball games, you know, whatever at the bars. And he would always get a few drinks in him, and he would he would just be like, you know what, like I could take care of that that field better, like. And and like he would be talking about fields like in Canada, like that are really up north, yeah. like like um, Toronto. Um, I, I know we were talking about Montreal. He was he was like if if they bring the Expos back and get a new stadium, he's like I want to go to Montreal and grow yeah. grass there. And he's like I know I could do it better than anybody. And like <laughs> I was just like I don't know if this is the booze talking or or if you actually know what you're talking about. I don't know. I think we're all, us groundskeepers are all probably a bunch of blowhards anyway, but I think we really could, we really could do it, especially us minor league guys where I'm not saying the big league guys are, are, are got cushier jobs or anything, but we, we do the same job with a lot less. A lot right. less people, a lot less budget, a lot less equipment, things like that. So when I kind of went to Huntsville, to Greenville, to here, it was kind of that same transition where in Huntsville I had nothing. I had a very, very small budget. I had one person with me. I had a mower, a Toro workman, and a beat-up tractor that I would have to haul around BP equipment with. And then I come here years later, and I got, I got an aerator, I got a sprayer, I got a verticutter. I got I got everything that I need and, and more. I got a fantastic seasonal assistant. I got two interns. I got great game day staff. So it's just kind of you learn to deal with it in the minor leagues a little bit better, dealing with what you got with – a little bit less, I guess. Right. And so that leads into my next question. And this this goes, again, with, with any uh, job title in minor league baseball. So considering the stops you've made, I'm sure the, the budget and the quality of equipment is different, as you alluded to. Can you describe some of those struggles? I mean, so <laughs> like, yeah, I went, I went from <laughs> Williamsport as an intern to Beloit. Um, and th- where I didn't know any better, and then I went to Delmarva, and right. like things were much better there. Um, and but yeah, just kind of go into those struggles a little bit. Yeah, so I went from Mahoning Valley to Idaho Falls to Huntsville to Greenville to here. So Mahoning Valley and Idaho Falls are nice places. We had decent equipment, decent facility, decent setups. Um, Huntsville was horrible. It, it yeah. was comparable to Beloit. So I, I'm pretty sure we could share a lot of stories about dugouts being flooded and, <laughs> and the lights going out in the middle of a game and scoreboard not working and all that kind of stuff. But, wow, all three of those instances really hit close to home, honestly. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember times where the dugouts have flooded and I got to jump in because the sub pump stopped working and, and try to unclog a drain. And I got to literally go underneath the water, hold my breath, and stick my hand down a drain, and get up a clump of seeds and dirt and whatever else it was clogging the drain yeah um one instance in huntsville i remember my the solenoid or my toro workman went out and the only way i could really jump start the thing was putting this screwdriver in between the prongs of the solenoid to get it to jump start and i had to <laughs> put my foot on the gas pedal stick my hand underneath the bed with this long handled screwdriver and do like a twister game going behind the seat, trying to hold the bed up as well and stick the screwdriver in to jumpstart the solenoid. Oh and we're in gosh. the middle of it. 
I think a 10 game homestand or something at that point, and I can't get the park for four or five days. Right. So that's wow. another struggle that it was just ridiculous. Old equipment falling apart. I, I remember we would get a hard rain in the stadium, and the way the stadium was designed in Huntsville was all the rainwater would drain into the dugouts or onto the field. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it would leak in the clubhouse. And I wow. remember times where water is pouring out of electrical sockets. And that is not a good That is not water, good. Like just a faucet coming out of an electrical socket. That will frighten you just a little bit. Wow. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. Um, I do remember one time in Beloit, again, yeah, the sump pump went out. We had to get a bucket brigade um, with our enormous staff of five people probably um and just do that for a couple hours um i remember one time um the i think we had like a huge party and like a you know company outing or something like that and i come down from the press box and there's like um little um George Foreman grills like in the office and like in like the bathrooms and like in the and stuff like that and and I'm like in like the club the clubhouse manager's office and like I was just like what the hell's going on in and so like I asked the the assistant GM at the time I was like what was going on and he's like he's like we ran out of propane in the grill, um, and and so like we all just like went home and got our George Foreman grills and like started started like putting little dents in like like oh yeah. like there's there's more grilled chicken coming I promise like and they're like doing it on their George Foremans in in the office. <laughs> but I don't know I don't even know how they made any headway because like the company outing was like a hundred plus people so i don't under- right. i don't understand i just wasn't involved in that process yeah. i was the director of food and beverage at one point which i've alluded to on this podcast i was never qualified for that um <laughs> it was my I think f- everybody in baseball has put on so many different hats i know i've put the mascot costume on half dozen times when I was in Idaho Falls I was at one point I was the only one who could fit in it so I had to go down to Salt Lake City and play a mascot softball game wow I've had to do that I've done it during a game I've had to be Homer in Huntsville for a couple different outings and parts of a game I had to do that drag the field and go put the mascot costume on so I've we've all done it and it's just it's crazy yeah some of the stories that we can tell where it's like we're doing our job and then we gotta do this and this and this and this and this so it, it, it's funny how much goes into a baseball game. Yeah. Um, I was also the only person that could fit in um, Snappy <laughs> at the time. And uh, I went to, we had a, the next, well, I guess the, 30 minutes away in Rockford, Illinois. Um, they have a hockey team that's affiliated with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks and the, the Rockford Ice Hogs. Um, and so they were doing a, I think it was a break between the first and second periods maybe. And, um, they were doing a mascot broom hockey game as if being a mascot isn't hard enough. Right. Um, 
I can't skate, so, like, there was no no chance I was doing that. So I just, like, you know, was in there, and I was the goalie, and I couldn't see anything. Yeah, I was uh, the same way in the softball game. Charlie the Chucker, his beak, the way it came out, I had, like, maybe an inch and a half window to see the softball coming in. So I yeah. was, like, always moving my head very animatedly to try to oh, play yeah. softball. I accidentally took a kid out in the hockey game. (laughs) I accidentally did because I couldn't see him. Uh, um, Speaking of stuff like that, um, did Mitch ever tell you that he, on multiple occasions, that one year that he was in Beloit, he was a bat boy for day games? Yeah, I had to do that too. I I had to do that in Great Lakes. We had a game run so late that our bat boys had to go home because it was a school night. Yeah. it was actually kind of cool at the time because we were playing Quad Cities. And it was my first year in Great Lakes, and half of my guys, half of the guys on my team, were my guys in Greenville right. the year before. So it was pretty cool to see them and be in the dugout with them as their bat boy. But it was me and our clubhouse manager. We had to put helmets on and go be a bat boy. That's that's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, we're gonna take this opportunity to cut to a break real quick, and we'll be right back with Kel Rensel right after this break. So you're a whiskey guy. Yeah. So I'm usually not a whiskey guy. And you might say, well, this isn't really whiskey. But the uh, screwball peanut butter whiskey, okay. yeah, is on it's sweet for me. It's it's on. Well, I am a peanut butter fiend. Okay. Um, anything with peanut butter is awesome to me. Um, so I I uh, discovered a cocktail, and so have you had the Yingling Hershey's Porter? I had it. I had it uh, over Christmas. Okay, and that's delicious. I'm usually not yes, a. It was very good. I'm not a usually a porter guy, but if you have the Hershey's Yingling Porter and you mix it with the Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey, you were the guy that I I saw somebody on Twitter that did it. And you were the guy that did. It. I could not find the picture yeah. of who did it. I remember seeing it. Oh, it's so good. You were the guy that did it. All yep. Right. Yeah. I'm the guy that did it. Yeah, it was. You're the guy that did it. Oh. I couldn't remember who did it. I remember seeing it on Twitter. I was telling people like somebody did this. I know they did it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I I might have to. That might be the intro to the podcast. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That no. I, I recently, more during quarantine, became a whiskey drinker. My wife was always a big whiskey drinker. We got into it because there's nothing else to do. So we just started buying all these different whiskeys and trying them. And now we got apps downloaded where we're ranking whiskeys and what they taste like and all that that's stuff. cool that's yeah. so cool yeah my my wife she's more um either either beer vodka or or um the seltzers honestly yeah. um no she's she's wine and whiskey and i'm mm. beer and whiskey yeah give me a bottle of high west which i'm drinking now or a case of labat and i'm fine oh nice I'm a, usually a big Captain Morgan fan. Okay. I love I love Captain oh, Morgan, but um All right. You ready to hop back into it? Absolutely. All right. Welcome back, Kel. Again, thank you so much for 
taking the time out of your evening to have a drink with me and swap some stories about working in minor league baseball. Uh, so I got to ask, what's your favorite mo pattern, and what's the best you've ever done? My favorite is the best I've ever done. And okay, that was for the 2017 Midwest League All Star Game. Um, we put our big giant loon logo had right in center field. Um, I really that was the second All Star Game I got to host. I, I did one in Huntsville uh, my first year in 2010, and then I got to do another All Star Game in 2017. So I really wanted to kind of I was at a nicer place, so I really wanted to step it up and do something. Brand and big, just to be like the big leaguers where they put all these big logos in center field and do that. So I decided I really wanted to put the loon head in there because it was pretty intricate. It was a big design, and I, I thought it would look pretty cool. So my assistant and I, we had graph paper. We put the logo on there, and then we kind of said, okay, each square is a foot and a half, and we really plotted it out. And then mm-hmm. once the time came, we had about 10 days before the All-Star game. We got out there, and kind of gave it to him and let him do it, let him take the responsibility. And my him and a couple other guys were out there. It looked like they were playing Battleship for like three hours. They had the irrigation flags out. They had measuring tapes, and they're going up 10 feet and over eight and all this kind of stuff, and they were getting it plotted out. And we ended up mowing it in and bro- using brooms and hoses and all sorts of stuff, and it looked really, really good. We ended up winning the, the Sports Surf Managers Association uh, the mowing pattern of the year contest. So I, I'm really, really proud of that, that we did it. I planned most of it, but my, I gave it to my assistant. I said, dude, this is yours. I need you to take some responsibility for it. And he just knocked it out of the park. So my name's on the award, but I think he deserves it a little more than I do. Okay. That's fair. That, that's gotta be my favorite by far. That's incredible. Like the attention to detail. And, and might I add the Great Lakes Loons logo is not an easy one to no, to not. replicate. It, it, if anybody wants a Google image search that, it's the big loon head logo. So a lot of like the feathers on on the neck and, and the outlining and the beak and the eyes and all that kind of stuff was pretty hard. And it most of it actually ended up working out pretty well. That it would be like one broom width or two broom widths wide for whatever kind of line. So it actually ended up working up really really well. Um, but it was every day out there once or twice a day brooming it in or doing whatever because I'd have to mow on top of that and we'd have to come in behind it and still knock it out. So once we put the irrigation flags in, I kind of dotted it with some green spray paint so we knew where the lines were and how to connect things. Right. Kind of stuff. Wow. The attention to detail there is incredible. Yeah, one, like I said, it, my name's on the award, but my assistant, he did 90% of that. <laughs> wow that that is so awesome wow uh so this is the pulling tarp podcast and you haven't worked in minor league baseball until you've pulled tarp and uh <laughs> or or been a mascot that's that's another one um but clearly you've pulled tarp probably at this point like a million times like you're you are the head groundskeeper yep. so are there any tarp pools that stand out to you that you can share? There's, well, I can tell stories about Idaho Falls where we never pulled tarp. Oh. <laughs> it never rained there. Uh, I'll, I'll take that back. We did it one time for a high school game because it was some important kind of district playoff game. Um, and that was the first, I think that was the first time they pulled tarp in about 10 years. Okay. <laughs> wow. 
And then, you know, the next year I go to Huntsville and we're pulling tar 60 times a year. Seven <laughs> times a year. It, yeah. it was insane. Uh, the one time we came in from a tarp pull on Huntsville, we had a, ho- a horrible storm. The wind was just insane. Tornado level wind. We've had tornadoes before. Um, but this particular time we came in and our outfield wall was just a chain link fence with the banners on it, zip tied to it. All the banners are gone. So it looked like the, the whole outfield wall is gone. The tarp right. is peeled over 10 rows into the first, on top of the first base dugout into the stands. It was insane. It took us a good two hours trying to unravel the tarp and do all that, try to get it at least flattened down the field where we could roll it up. That one mm. was one of the worst times, one of the worst tarp pulls we ever had. Hmm. Wow. Um, so what was what's the least amount of people you've pulled tarp with? I did it with two people. Okay. <laughs> you, you beat mine with four, so we did it with two. But we kind of cheated because in Huntsville, how we rolled it out is I we had it on a rope, but I had track, I'd hook it up to the tractor, and pull it out from there. But me and our media director, we put it on. Her and I did with two people. Wow! Almost so on. we had it like seventy five percent of the way on, and then everybody else started showing up and all that. But so I'm. I'll, I'll tell a story. And you can tell me afterwards how mad you would have been at me if if it was your field. Um, so in Beloit, we had a very small staff, of course, and we did the same thing where we hooked it up to a rope and we put it on the back of the Polaris Ranger and drove it out. And um, so I think we had a staff of like four or five people that year, and a full-time staff member always had to be there when a high school game was going on. And so it's the middle of a high school game and it starts pouring rain. And so we need to pull, put the tarp on. And so the assistant, the head groundskeeper is not there. The assistant groundskeeper was there and he tells me to get the ranger out and bring it around and hook it up. And so I do that. And he said, he said, all right, drive, drive it out to center field and so I put the pedal to the metal on this thing and I put the biggest rut in the field with the tires from the Ranger and it so it was right beyond first base um but it was in foul territory okay and this rut had to be almost a foot deep honestly <laughs> and the head groundskeeper at the time who's now the assistant in Oakland, he was just like, "Damn it, Bobby!" He was he was cool about it. He was like, "I'll fix it." He's like, "But damn, dude! Like, don't put the pedal to the metal next time." I was like, "All right, I got you." So, how mad would you have been? If... I would have been mad. I would have been Mitch Hooten mad. I would say that much. Okay. <laughs> Mitch Hooten does get mad. Yeah, he would have been the red faced. I'm, I'm screaming at you. But afterwards, we probably would have laughed about it. That's, Initially, I, that's I would have been very, very mad, but then a couple days later, it's like, okay, we that's, that's funny. That's fair. Um, so, and I'm going to call Mitch out real quick. Do it, please. How do you prefer to, um, I guess, fold up the tarp? It, it, tell, tell me it's not accordion style. It is accordion style. Why? I think it's the best way. It, it's... 
when you're folding it up, it's a little more pain to get on the seams and to get everything lined up. But there's times where you're in the heat of the moment during a game and you got to get that thing on immediately and you can just grab that corner and run with it and go where you don't have to keep coming back and forth and back and forth. Or accordion style, you just grab that corner and everybody just runs and takes off and then you can adjust from there. I think that's the best way to go. While I get what you're saying, <laughs> it doesn't work when you have a full-time staff of four people. Correct. Because um, you need some momentum. It literally... All right, maybe it's not literally. It, it killed I, me. I your theory. It, it killed me. Um, <laughs> the, the first, like... Ten times we pulled tarp with with Mitch as our head groundskeeper. He has insisted he wanted to do accordion style, and I was just like, "Mitch, this isn't going to work with how many we have on staff." Like, right. if we had a bigger staff, yes, I'm I'm cool with it. I get what you're trying to do, but with <laughs> with four people, he, four or five people here during the day, and then like at night, you have like. Six, seven, maybe eight. Like that's just right. not gonna work. Right. So, um, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I get it. All right. So, <laughs> let's keep on shitting on our former guests, or not shitting, but you know, telling funny stories. Do you have any more stories about Mitch or Nick? I don't think I really do. Okay. I, I've hung out with the Mitch quite a bit. I, I've got to know him a lot over the years, but I don't think I have any really funny Mitch stories. I just love to bust his chops and give him a hard time. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't? But I that's do about too. it. But no, Mitch and I are really good friends. We're both on the board of directors for our STMA chapter, so we, we talk quite a bit. And he's definitely somebody that I talk to during the season because weather-wise, hey, how was that storm that came through? Right. Coming towards us or... How is this team? How is this coach? How are the umpires or whatever? So he's definitely somebody that I trust his opinion. I trust if there's a new fertilizer or a new product or whatever to, to bounce ideas off. But mm-hmm. I don't have any funny Mitch stories but besides just talking dirt and grass with them. <laughs> well, that's okay, too. Um, but, yeah, I I have nothing but the utmost respect for, for Mitch and – I'm I'm glad that he's happy. He always wanted to be closer to home, and yeah. um, you know he's got another funny Mitch story yeah. is when the Great Lakes job opened up. It was he applied for the job, and I applied for the job. So we were interviewing each other against each other for this job. So he could have got this job over me. Oh, okay. ironically enough, yeah. Was that when he was in Beloit, or when that he was, was when he was in Beloit? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I mean. Everybody was trying to get out of boy. Like, yeah, it's understandable. Let's yeah, it was me and um, another guy, Nate Jones, who passed away. But it was us three were kind of interviewing for this job at the same time, and I ended up getting it somehow. I don't know how. Okay, yeah, Mitch. He always gives me a hard time about how I don't deserve this job. (laughs) (laughs) He does. Oh man. Well, Mitch was one and done in Beloit. I lasted for four years, um, and yeah, I was I lasted four years in Huntsville. Yeah, I, I was really, really put my nose in the grindstone on that one. I was the longest tenured staff member after after my second year, I think. <laughs> so that's saying something. Um, but um, I just checked; we didn't have any listener questions. Maybe I should work better on trying to get those. 
out beforehand. Um, so you keep a pretty low profile on, on the interweb, um, but where can the listeners find you on social media, Kel? On social media, I'm basically on Twitter at Kelren31. Uh, this year I was really, really quiet. Um, kind of early on for Lent, I kind of gave up social media on my phone because I think we all can kind of get addicted to it. And mm-hmm. then once the, the pandemic hit, I really stayed off it because I knew it would just be a toxic mess. Right. So I've really been conscious of staying off social media this year. Um, wedding planning was a, a, a big thing of my time. So it was sure. good. I kind of did that and stayed away from just mindless dribble. Um, so I was kind of occupied with that and then a honeymoon and, and on top of that work, there was nothing going on at work. So I, I basically have always tweeted about the field and what's going on at the stadium. So this year was kind of, was really, really quiet for me on Twitter, but I can promise you when, once I get back in another month, that it will probably ramp up a little bit more. All right. That's cool. So I'll be a little, I promise I'll be a little more active on, on the Twitter sphere there. Okay. Very cool. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. Like social media can, uh, so I've been at, I've been locked out of my Facebook for like three months. Um, because somebody hacked me and then like, I just haven't been able to get back in. Like they want you to enter a code and the code didn't work. And so like, there's no customer support service. So, so like, I really don't miss Facebook besides the fact that, um, in addition to my sales role at state farm, I also help out with our social media and marketing um, okay. so that's, that's been a little bit challenging, but I really don't miss Facebook other than like when we got it's married, yeah, when we got married, I wanted to put on like, you know, some photos and yeah. stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, she handled all of that. So, um, but Twitter, so, and, and I really, people might shoot me for this. I don't know, but pe- I really don't care about politics at this yes. moment in wow. time. Um, People say that'll change as I get older. Maybe it will. I don't know. But I really just don't care at all. So Twitter <laughs> Twitter is awesome. Like my level of like don't give a fuck is pretty outstanding. Um and my my wife like will say like it's incredible like the amount of things you don't care about. And I'm like, "Well, thank you. I I take that as as a compliment yeah thank thank you you. i'm gonna put that on my resume but twitter yeah um but twitter is awesome because you can gear your timeline and and your news that you get to what you want to hear what you want to see so that's awesome like for instance you and i have never met before but we interacted with each other on twitter and i think this is a great conversation um that the listeners will appreciate so so there's that so that's what came out of twitter so twitter way better than facebook Um, i agree wholeheartedly yeah all all my twitter news feed is like marvel movie stuff in baseball that's that's about it oh yeah all the groundskeepers i talk to yep absolutely pretty much it yep (laughs) so you've listened to a couple episodes uh some some friends of yours and you know how I end each episode. What has been your favorite walk-up or warm-up song during your baseball career, and whose was it? I got two. All right. So number two was Logan Schaefer, um, outfielder for the Brewers. Um, 
I don't know if he started using this song when he was with us, but he continued on when he made it to the big leagues, was Mark Morrison's Return of the Mac, which is like, for me, like the ultimate like middle school jam, middle school dance jam, and I still love that song. Best song ever made, in my opinion. Yes, yes. So great. And then my all-time favorite, I'll always be a Trey Todd fan. He's the most incredibly obscure Great Lakes Loons player. Um, <laughs> I, we had him in 2019 for about a week. But I'm a huge, like, 90s grunge, early 90s grunge fan. And he used Alice in Chains' Rooster as his walk-up song. So I will always be a Trey Todd fan for the rest of my life. Very nice. All right. So if I see him next year, I'm, I, I'm definitely going to say I appreciate your walk-up music if he uses Alice in Chains again. So. All right. Awesome. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll close out with that song. And I uh, just want to add that I put all of my guests' uh, favorite walk-up songs onto a <laughs> playlist on Spotify. Um, it's called the Pulling Tart Podcast Walk-Up Playlist. Uh, you can jam out to that. There's some excellent jams, and it's all over the place. Last week, I added on a Mozart song. Um, nice. <laughs> but it's it's literally everything from Mark Morrison to, um, like, club music to Jimi Hendrix to, you know, uh, country to Kanye West, um, 50 Cent, uh, Big and Rich, uh, The Circle of Life, The Lion King song, literally, like, anything. So, so, I mean, there's some, there's some awesome jams on there. I appreciate, uh, I would appreciate if you guys go listen to it and, you know, follow that as well. Um, but please leave ratings and comments on Apple podcasts and, uh, yeah, just thank you so much, Kel, for taking the time out of your evening, having a couple drinks with me tonight. And, uh, this is a great conversation, man. Dude, it's been fun. Anytime. If you ever get up to Michigan, let me know. And, Share the ballpark a little bit and, and all that kind of fun stuff. I certainly will. I certainly will. Thank you so much, Kel. Not a problem. Anytime. Yeah, here come the rooster. You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.